When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is the best of Inside Sports as uh, we look back on some of your favorite interviews over the last couple of months here on the show. And I, and I know this one really resonated with a lot of you. Adam Braidwood was taken first overall in the CFL draft in 2006 by the Edmonton Eskimos. A few years later, he was in jail. He now has a boxing career going, and he'll fight for the World Boxing Union belt coming up on Friday in Quebec, uh, Quebec City. Recently talked to Adam. Adam, how are you doing? Good. How you doing, Reed? Doing very well. It's great to catch up with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us, and, and you got a big boat coming up next Friday. How are you feeling, man? How's the tra- training going? You, you peaking at the right time, like they, the old cliche goes? Yeah, you know, i got a really good team around me here at Zuma in Victoria. Uh, I'm really excited about this fight. Uh, it was a lot more volume. I actually had to take a month off of work for the first time. And, uh, you know, really increased my training. I did increase my cardio, doing all kinds of different stuff, spin class, swimming, running, things like that, just to kind of, uh, you know, boost, boost my cardio and, uh, and get ready for this fight. How do you compare the, the preparation for, for boxing as opposed to the preparation you put in for a football player? I mean, your boxing can be more spaced out, whereas football in season, you're going pretty much uh, every, every week. How, how is the preparation different? I think uh, with football, uh, I think the mental aspect of it is very similar. I think uh, it's one of those things that you learn over time, and uh, you figure out what works for you, and you work on the techniques. As far as the physical part of it, they're they're totally different. Uh, football, you basically have to build your body up to be able to take a huge collision, huge impact, and uh, and you know boxing, you you have to kind of learn to take impact, but you also have to learn to kind of roll with the impact. And it's the little subtle moves uh, that avoid. You don't want to like run into someone's punch, and uh, you know try to absorb it that way. You want to be able to like move and flow with uh, the action that's going on. Do you do you miss do you miss football, or does this still satisfy the the competitive craving and the uh, you know the physicality that you got in football? Uh, I think yeah, this is uh, it. Definitely satisfies. There's things about football that I do miss. You know, I miss traveling with the guys every week I, I, you know I enjoy the training um, you know Edmonton was a great city a lot of good energy and uh, you know playing in front of you know 30 40 50 60 thousand people is, is, is a lot of fun 
Adam Braidwood joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. Uh, Adam, you know, we appreciate that, that you're, you're willing to tell your story a little bit tonight because obviously um, there were some challenges uh, in your life. You had some obviously legal uh, problems and, and you were behind bars for a couple of years. Uh, you know, you went through some tough times and probably did some things you look back on and say, uh, and, and say wow, I can't, can't believe that happened. What sort of got you on that path where, you know, you wound up doing some some kind of bad things, you know, because a lot of people would look and say, man, this guy had it all, top draft pick, great athlete, good football player. Uh, when you look back, how, how did you take a step and, and go down that, that path? Well, I think uh, it's easy to kind of point fingers and say it's this person's fault, that person's fault. You know, I think that I had some uh, unresolved issues in my life that I didn't know really how to deal with. And I think when I got injured, something that I'd never had to deal with, I think that uh, it kind of led me down a path that, uh, you know, I started uh, thinking incorrectly and I started to try to problem solve and shortcut and, and do all these types of things that I'd never really had to, to do. There are a lot of challenges that I had to face. And then the biggest problem is, is you know, I got addicted to painkillers and that really affected my thinking. And, uh, you know, I, I made some bad decisions. And it's, you know, like I said, there's there's no easy answer you know i did some bad stuff and uh you know it, it doesn't have like i didn't wake up one day i was like can't hey, i do this you know it just kind of slowly happened somebody asked you to do something you need to do something and uh you know it just kind of creeps up on you yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the the, the painkiller uh, addiction, and you're not the only uh, athlete, ex or otherwise, to to deal with that. I mean, is is that something you would warn young football players or whatever about that there, there's going to be pain involved and you got to be careful? Definitely. Uh, you just you never know. Like I I was never really a huge drinker. I'd go out and you know have a few beers after the game or whatever, get drunk. But I was never like, okay, I got problems. I need to go drink to, to resolve them. Uh, and so you never really know what's going to affect you, what drug it's going to be, and, uh, you know, what's going to kind of grab hold of you. And so I would, you know, unless you really need it, and I think doctors and stuff are a lot more careful. Teams are a lot more aware of what's going on uh, with the drug situation. But, uh, you know, if you don't medically absolutely need it, don't take it. You know, like, just learn to deal with it in a healthy way. You know, I got lots of injuries. I got lots of pain. I train full-time. I figure out ways to manage it, and you don't need it. It's it's a crutch, and, you know, just if if you have to take it every day or if you need it, you know, find a different career. Yeah, well, yeah, good good point. Um, I, I mean, we're gonna, I want to talk about your transition into boxing here and stuff, but so you so yeah you know you have the trouble you said it yourself you did you did some bad things it kind of built up gradually and then it sounded like you know you fell in with some uh maybe some of the wrong people as well what let me put it this way what what snapped you out of it did it take the severity of of being arrested and, and having a trial or uh you know did somebody help you out of it what what sort of put you back on a better better path and a better frame of mind no, I'd say prison. I'd say all that stuff. Uh, it actually made me worse. You know, I kind of, you know, when I went in there, I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to just go this way, I guess. Like, I'm pretty much screwed now. And so, you know, like, I didn't really see any other option. I didn't really have any hope. And that took, like, a long time. A lot of people came and visited me. A lot of people showed support. But even then, you know, it took me getting out and then kind of going to the gym, getting back into it. It was, like, a long, long, tedious journey to really, like, get back to where I needed to be you know it wasn't one thing it was you know it was a collective group of like my family my friends you know people who cared about me 
like constantly supporting me and then like you know i faced a lot of different stuff out here since i, I got out here and got rolled and and uh it was, it was a number of different things and i just had to keep pushing forward and, and that's what it is it's you know it's years of work because i see a million guys they get out they say this they say that they have a bunch of like you know it's just all talk right it's like what are you gonna do like i go to work every day i get up at 5 30 in the morning i go to a construction site i go grind it out do what i gotta do i go get cleaned up i go to the gym every day no excuses six days a week and that's just the way it is that's how i keep myself busy and that's what I have to do, you know, to stay focused because it's like, you know, like nobody's going to treat me normally for the rest of my life. You know, like no one will ever be like, oh, it's just some normal guy. So I have to do these things. I have to do these big things so people will just treat me normally. Like I lost that luxury. I threw that away a long time ago. So it's like, you know, like it's a, it's, it's a motivating factor to stay on the straight and narrow because there's, there's only two ways I can go, man. I can go back to that way or I can, you know, move forward and try to, you know, do some good things. Well, Adam, it sounds like you're very honest with yourself and, and everybody who's listening tonight. And it almost sounds to me like you have to work on your self-image and, and you have to work on almost giving yourself a new label. Is, is, that, is that a fair way to put it? Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't really technically look at it like that. I think, like, a lot of people can identify. Like, I get a lot of people, they reach out to me on social media. I go at, uh, at boxing.com. Like, I'll post stuff a little here and there just about, you know, sober living. And people are like, well, wait a minute, you're sober living. Like, you're this athlete. They don't know any of my story. They just see my pictures. And they'll kind of send me a message and be like, hey, like, what's your deal, right? And they'll say, well, I got problems too. And so, you know, if people can kind of get something out of that, you know, I think that's good. I'm not trying to, like, look for a new image. I don't want people to be like, hey, man, this guy turned his life around. Give this guy a pat on the back. Bottom line is, you know, like, I made bad choice. I did bad things. And now I'm doing what I have to do to survive. And that's just the way it is. You know, like, it's, I'm not looking for any accommodations or anybody to, you know, say, great job, like, you're this great person, you know, it's like, I did bad stuff, anybody can do that, you know, it's what you got to kind of do after that's important, right, so. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you sound obviously very focused and, and, and very committed, which is cool, and, and you're fighting for a belt next Friday, right, I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, this is a sanctioned belt, a world sanctioned belt, WBU, 12 rounds, uh, guys like George Foreman had this belt in the past. And, uh, you know, this is way above anything that I've ever fought for. And, uh, you know, I like the challenge, though. You know, when I got asked, I, I wasn't like, oh, I don't know if I can go 12 rounds. I was like, hey, coach, like, you know, what do we got to do? You know, I asked Adam Zuchak, I was like, what do we got to do? You know, I, talk, I called Mark Pavlich, I called my manager, I called my team, and I'm like, hey, you think we can beat this guy? And they're all like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to beat this guy, right? And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky. I got a good support staff. You know, I work with Mark Pavlich, Ken Franzik. Uh, out there in Edmonton, you know, I got great promotion out there. KO Boxing gets me lots of fights. I stay busy, and uh, you know, I think this is a big challenge, but I'll, I'll definitely be ready for it. You know, Adam, I, I often ask this, um, and I think you'll have an interesting perspective. And it's it's a maybe it's a bit of a hokey question, but I, a lot of times I get a really great, thoughtful answer from people. What would you say to a to an athlete, you know, maybe in his or her teens, who might have a chance to play? university sports either in Canada or the United States or, or go pro in something whether it's football, hockey, boxing whatever, golf, whatever, whatever yeah. what, what's a kernel of advice you would give them as you know they go into adulthood and are going to face challenges uh, on and off the field or in and out of the ring uh, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it ever and uh, you know like there's, there's obviously there's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot involved in becoming a, a high level athlete but if that's something that you really want to do, you know, never quit, you know, just stay focused. 
And, you know, like a lot of people told me I would never play college football. And a lot of people told me I'd never play pro football. Everybody's like, why are you boxing? And now all of a sudden I'm fighting for a world title. You know, like it's, it's just one of those things, man. Like it's, you put in the work, you do the time, and, you know, you can do whatever you want. And that's just the way it is. Have you been able to maintain uh, relationships with, uh, with with former teammates, or or was that was that difficult given what you went went through? Uh, not really. Uh, a lot of people reached out to me, man. A lot of people called me. A lot of coaches. A lot of people wrote letters for me. Um, you know, like football is a brotherhood, and I still talk to a lot of guys. Like I said, on social media and stuff, and it's. I've actually got a chance uh, to talk to a lot of guys that I played against that we didn't even get along, and then we ended up going out for dinner, and they're like, you're all right, man. Like, you're a good guy. We thought you were Dick. And I was like, I thought you were Dick, too, man. And, like, you know, I was like. <laughs> but, you know, we actually end up getting along pretty good. And people are supportive. I think, you know, deep down, people want to see other people do good. They don't want to see, you know, what ha- what I did, like, what I- to happen to other people. I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of haters out there. That people are like, ha-ha, I told you so. He's a bad guy, this, that. But, you know, realistically, deep down, most people want to see you do good things, right? So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it, you're, I, again, I appreciate your honesty, and, and, and I think, you know, you're, you're a bit of a lesson here in resilience and being able to bounce back and, and, and commitment and all that kind of stuff. I should ask before I let you go, uh, you still watching a lot of CFL? And, and if so, uh, anybody you really enjoy watching play these days? I like Riley. I actually played with Riley for one year. He was at Washington State, and he was like, he was a young little kid then, man, a little walk-on. And then all of a sudden I saw I was like, he always with the Lions, always with the Eskimos. You know, that's my guy, right? So, you know, I, I, I wish the best for anybody that I played with, played against, you know, especially out of college that, uh, you know, that's doing well. But, uh, you know, I'm always going to be an Edmonton fan. I cheer for Edmonton, and, uh, you know, I want to see a lot more great cups out there. Well, I think I think a lot of people you're you're preaching to the choir in that one for sure. Uh, Adam, yeah. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate uh, how candid you were in this interview. And uh, yeah, all the best in the final week of training. And and uh, go get them on the 24th, man. No problem, man. Thank you. That's an amazing story. All the best to Adam Braidwood. When we get back, former Edmonton Oilers defenseman Jason Strudwick. This is the best of Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Well, you've no doubt uh, kept tabs on Jason Strudwick, very popular defenseman from his playing days in the NHL. Edmontonian played for the Oilers throughout his career, and uh, or parts of his career anyway, and uh, he's now hosting uh, dinner TV over or dinner television over on City TV, and he's uh, remained involved in the community, and he recently had a pretty cool road trip. Here's what happened. So I was in Hong Kong. This journey to Hong Kong started about two years ago. Um, I was invited by uh, the uh, director of Kung Pao Kings Hockey. That's a local hockey program in Hong Kong. Uh, to come and to uh, work with his group. He put on like a... Spe- they had their Chinese New Year, so it's a holiday time. So they had all the kids had the week off. So we had about 30 kids every day for two hours. Um, you know, from, about, from young, five to like 15. Uh, so, you know, the ice was kind of split up in different areas, but I, it was a great experience. I think the kids enjoyed it. I think, you know, my style of coaching would be different or what they've had. Uh, not better or worse, just different. Uh, I think the coaches enjoyed it, that it worked with those kids. They kind of see how I coach or how it, maybe a, a North American guy would, would approach it. And then I loved it. I mean, working with these kids, it should be said, they all spoke English except for a couple players that were from mainland China. They were pretty much all uh, only Chinese. Um, and I realized that because they're pretty good players, and I always wanted them to go first to the drills, but they always got the drills wrong. They couldn't figure it out. 
still at the end of the second day, the other coach said, hey, they don't speak English. Maybe put them in the back of the line. Oh, okay. I was like, well, that, that, that would have been good to know that yesterday. But, <laughs> but anyways, uh, they, they got it sorted out. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, hockey's not easy there. We, there's not a lot of arenas. Um, the arena we were at, uh, it was about probably generously saying two-thirds the size of an NHL rink, $700 an hour. $700 an hour there. Uh, for a full-size NHL rink, there's only one in Hong Kong, $1,500 per hour. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So you had 30 kids. Uh, so how how old were they How and how proficient were they as players in general? So we had kids from 5 to 15. Um, I would, you know, I would suggest that that their their top players would kind of be our average players for any given for any given age group. Um, but listen, there's some challenges. Um, you know, limited ice time, um, no real hockey culture. When I go on the ice with kids, I like to challenge them with tri- uh, trivia questions. You know, so you know, depending on the age of the group, I, I'll I'll be quite easy or quite hard. But I mean, these guys. They didn't really know, you know, who won the Stanley Cup last year. And that's not because they're dumb. They're just that the reason is there's no hockey on there. I was there in Hong Kong for nine days. The only time, if you can believe it, the only time I saw the uh, NHL was when I landed in Hong Kong. I looked up at a TV in a bar. It was Oilers playing the Sharks. That's the only time I saw anything hockey-related except for fake jerseys in the uh, boutiques that I, I was going into. <laughs> right. And um, it was amazing. Like, so... So just think, if you're trying to learn a sport, trying to love a sport, trying to become good at a sport, and you don't really have the culture to it, 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 it makes it very difficult. Jason Strudwick joining us. Okay, so that was Hong Kong. And then did you hit Beijing as well? Yeah, I went to Beijing, so that was just a personal trip. I've always oh, okay. wanted to see the Great Wall of China. And I'm telling you, the Great Wall of China, for those it's amazing. It's such as far as, our, as far as I can see in a direction where I went to visit it. And it was, it is Amazing! I was moved when I was up there. It takes you a lot to get moved, Reed, but that moved me seeing that uh, the, the Great Wall of China. Okay, well that that sounds like that that sounds like quite a trip. So, did so you spent about a week with the kids in Hong Kong? Did you did you leave feeling like you know they got something out of it? Like it was worth it for you to spend that time with them? Like they improved or took took something away from it? I think so. You know, and if the kids they asked me to come back again, the parents were asking me to come back again. I, I think I made you it at some point. Um, but you know what I find is that there's structure. You know, there's not just practice, but there's structure. So when you go and watch, you know, there's practice. Uh, when Todd blows the whistle, all the players come in, take a knee, and they're attentive. They're not leaning against the wall. They're not laying on the ice like they're at the beach. They're not getting extended water break. You know, there's, there's structure to how the practice is structured, if that makes sense. And so that was what I spent quite a bit of my time on because I found there was a lot of wasted time um, you know, getting a drink of water. They, when they went to get a drink of water, they felt there was more time to visit. And I'm, I'm like, so by the end of the first day, I was like, you have 10 seconds to get a drink of water. They went and got a drink of water, came back, and we moved on to the next drill. So that's just like that structure, and, and you know, that's really no one's fault. But again, that's that culture of hockey. You know, that growing up, you learn that from the time you're very young to the time you make it, you know, to, your, to the NHL or the men's league. You get organized and move along through practice, and that's kind of the from the structure I try to work out on top of the practice time. That's uh, that's really interesting. Okay, let me ask you this, and I'm, I'm going to sound totally ignorant here, but it's because I am. Uh, I mean, I know soccer is big pretty much everywhere in the world except North America, but what did you sense was the dominant sport in Hong Kong in terms of popularity? Um, yeah, soccer's huge. Ping pong, too. Ping oh, wow. Really huge, actually. Yeah, they, um, 
you know, they, they, it was pretty interesting. Actually, we actually went by an academy in both Hong Kong and Beijing where some of the greatest uh, table tennis players they ever come off of. And so that was pretty interesting to see those guys and, and just to see, or not see them, but see where they train and just see that the kind of the, the popularity they have. So that, that's a major sport uh, in that area. That is Jason Strudwick. This is the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Coming back after the news with the winningest coach in the history of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. On February 3rd, Gord Thibodeau became the winningest coach in the history of the AJHL. He coaches the White Court Wolverines. He cashed in a victory in Fort McMurray for win number 833, passing Don Phelps. Talked to Gord a couple of days after he broke the record, and I asked him how the whole process felt. Exhausting. <laughs> you know what? It's been a, a very tough uh, week. Obviously, with the travel to Fort Mac, and it's been very emotional. Um, setting the record Friday night, uh, uh, you know, it was it was surreal. Uh, but it's been a long few days. Just returning a lot of emails and calls, and texts, and um, it just it's humbling to to understand that uh, you know you've been around this long and it's humbling to know that uh, this many wins in um, you've had some great players and uh, I guess that's the the core belief is that uh, it shows that I've had a lot of good teams and a lot of good hockey players play for me yeah well yeah you have and, and you've helped them out a lot to yourself and it's funny I, when I was talking to people about having you on the show I said you know Gord's one of the first people I interviewed as an actual professional broadcaster i mean i'd volunteered when i'd gone to school and stuff but in march of 2000 uh, i joined the tv station in lloyd minster and, and you were just starting your second round series against fort saskatchewan and you eventually lost to fort mcmurray in the north final and uh, and they won the uh, and they won the national championship and i know you won't remember this but i had to go out and do an interview with you after practice and i was i didn't have a camera person so i was operating everything myself and I couldn't set up the tripod properly and the camera like kept looking like it was going to fall off. And then I remember you just said to me, having a little bit of trouble there, Reed? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, uh, that's a great memory to think back. I certainly remember you and Lloyd. You know what? Uh, those were great days. It was a great year that year that you happened to be there. Uh, as you mentioned, losing to Fort McMurray in a very memorable series before they went on to win the RBC. And, uh, you know, that's the one still stings a little bit, uh, especially the four overtime game we lost at home. But uh, great memories, and that's what uh, the game's all about. Your goalie was Dustin Schwartz, who's uh, now the goalie coach for the Edmonton Oilers. I remember that four overtime game. At the time, it was the longest game in the history of the league. I want to ask you something about that, Gord, because, you know, as I, as I got to know people around the AJHL over the next couple of years, there were a couple people who said to me, that the Lloydminster Blazers had the second best team in Canada. They just happened to be in the same division as the best team, and that was Fort McMurray. Do you, do you think that team was that good? You know what? I, when I look back, and I've had a lot of time to, you know, to think about it, and I've had a lot of conversation with with friend Gal, who of course was the winning coach DM for Fort McMurray, and uh, you know, Fran mentioned that that he thought that we were their toughest test. Um, it's always hard to say, but I, I was very, very proud of that hockey team, and 
I still think it's it may have been the best team that I've ever coached, uh, even though it didn't win. Um, it lost to a great, very deep hockey team, and format was fully deserving. But uh, a lot of fond memories looking back. Um, like I said, when I when I looked at that, I, I think it's definitely one of the strongest teams I've coached for sure. Gord Thibodeau joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. Uh, so when you got into coaching, what, what first got you behind the bench? And when you were a younger guy, did you, did you have any ambition to do that? Not so much when I was, you know, growing up and playing. No, I'd never really thought about it. Um, it's once I got to the U of A, once I started playing at the University of Alberta, uh, Billy Moores and Claire Drake were very big influences and, their motto at the time was they wanted us to get back to the game and we were done. They felt that that was a very important component of hockey, is that the players who've had success and gotten some from, from the game would give it back, whether it be in minor hockey or whatever level. So I remember that leaving the U of A. Um, that's probably what got me involved. Uh, but I'll be honest, I, I thought, you know, I'll do it for three or four years, give a little something back uh, because the game had been so tremendous to me. Um, I never suspected 23 years later, you know, that we'd be sitting here discussing it. Yeah. Do you, okay, here's a tough one. Do you remember your first win in the AJ? I don't. No? You know <laughs> Isn't that funny? We were we were discussing that on the weekend, and I really do not remember it. I know what happened in Fort Saskatchewan. I think it happened maybe the third or fourth game of the year, first year I started coaching, but I really don't remember much about it. Um, you know, it was all a blur. At that time, you're a young guy, and you don't really put a lot of emphasis in wins and losses as you're just starting out here. You know, you're think, thinking so much, and you're trying to get your group to do things. And um, like I said, it, uh, it's still a blur. I don't remember it. Um, I'm thankful it happened, obviously, because one led to two and so on. But uh, I, I wish I had a better memory of it. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I was contacted about possibly doing this interview last week when you had tied the record but hadn't set it. And, I mean, you and I have been doing this uh, off and on, these interviews, well, since 2000, right? And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm having Gord on before he breaks the record. Because if, if, if they lose both at Fort Mac... I'm... Well, you know what? It's, it's funny you mention that, Reed. I was saying to a couple of... After it was done, the relief, you know, I kind of had visions. I said to Tom Keck, I had visions we were going to go 0-12 in the last, you know, 12 games, and I wouldn't get it this year. Um, you're always worried about that next game. And, you know, you know me well enough to know that you probably smart thing not calling me when it was tied. Uh, but like I said, when the emotions, uh, I think even for the team, it's been such an incredible run the last 10 or 11 games. And, and they were relieved, I think, that it was done too. So uh, it's a nice thing to have. But, you know, we're in a battle for first place. And I don't want to take the emphasis away from our group. We, uh, we want to get back to playing hockey. And emphasis should be on a team having a great season. Well, I, and that leads into what I wanted to ask you, because how did the players uh, handle it? And I've known enough coaches where they don't want to also make it about them, but you've been in the AJHL to know that it doesn't get the headlines it deserves, so sometimes you have to put yourself out there even if, if you don't want to. How, how, did the, how did the players handle sort of uh, everything going on, going, on, going on around your record? You know what? Exceptionally well. They were um, very driven. Uh, you know, we, we kind of got to within, uh, you know, I think it was basically four wins of the record. And then we were going on an, you know, an eight-game road trip. 
and I'm, you know, thinking privately to myself, Jesus, they're not going to make it easy here. Uh, but somehow our team just kind of pulled together. They seemed very determined. They were quiet about it, but you could tell, you know, it was something that they were aware of. And um, we saw that outpouring of emotion after the game was done Friday night. And, you know, Saturday we showed up for the second game of the doubleheader. And uh, I mentioned to my coach, uh, Mike Mueller, I said, Mike, I don't know emotionally if we have much left. Uh, it's been, you know, a heck of a run. And I know the boys were extremely happy. And uh, I was definitely uh, you know, very proud of them. And like I said, we uh, we expended a lot of emotion over the course of the last uh, month trying to get to that position. So I'm definitely thankful that they gave me the opportunity to break it. And to break it in Fort McMurray of all places. Um, you know, just a special feeling. Gord, I want to ask you a couple other things here, and and, and you know, I, I I mean, I went out, I saw you at the RBC last year. It was really important to me to just to go to a game in, in Lloydminster, and I watched your final on TV. And but as I get swept up in in Oilers and Eskimo stuff, I mean, sometimes I wish I could, I could give the league a little more attention than than I do. But what is it like in in Whitecourt? I was a little surprised when that community. Uh, who was it that moved? Was it Spruce or was it? Uh, it was uh, St. Albert. St. Albert, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what what is it like in, in Whitecourt? Is that sustainable there? Why is it working so far? Well, I mean, it's, it's been sustainable because we have a, an unbelievable owner. Brent Stark is, has been uh, amazing. Um, you know, he's one of those guys you meet in your life, and uh, I'm so thankful that my, my path is crossed with him. Uh, he's a guy who really cares about hockey, and um, we've got some work to do. There's no question. It's a small town, and you know, with the economy not being the greatest here in the last couple of years, just like every other community, it's been tougher and tougher to to find that support. So, uh, but Brent's uh, a guy who really cares about this community. He made his his money up here. His family's very well uh, appreciated in the community, and he wants to see this work. So, we're doing everything we can to make sure that this community is viable for junior hockey. All right. You know, it's funny. I just got a text from Yakushev, who's a listener in Lloydminster, and he's got a pretty sharp sense of humor. So uh, remember that when I read this. He goes, how long is Gord under contract? The Bobcats only have 10 wins this season. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the hardest parts was leaving the Bobcats, trust me. And if it wasn't for, you know, the, the family side of this, um, I would have been content to finish my career in Lloyd. I, I love that community. And I love what Brian Morrison and, and all the people around that uh, that organization have done to make that, you know, I think the best community-owned team in, in Western Canada. Uh, they've worked real hard, and they've got a real buy-in from the community, so there's definitely a lot of pride having worked with them. And um, they're going to turn it around, trust me. They've got a young team, but uh, they'll be okay for next season. Gord Thibodeau joining us, White Court Wolverines head coach. He became the winningest coach in the Alberta Junior League on Friday with a win in Fort McMurray. You know, Gord, it's part of your story, and I know it's been publicized a lot over the last couple of weeks, um, about your your recurring battles, I guess, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, four times since 1989. How are you feeling, and how have you been able to, you know, balance some of those battles with still, you know, being able to to coach and and be a leader to to your young players? Well, it's been, it's certainly been a lifelong companion. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, your path sometimes isn't for you to choose. Um, 
you're, you have obstacles in your life, and everyone does, whether they be personal, whether they be family-related. Everyone has obstacles they have to overcome. Um, and I just saw it as another opponent. Um, that's the training that hockey gave me throughout my minor hockey and through my, my life was this is just another opponent that you have to be prepared for and uh, you've got to defeat and um, it certainly wasn't fun the last time I'll be honest uh, during the World Bank Cup there were definitely some thoughts in my mind that maybe this you know maybe it's 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 going to have a lasting impact I don't know if I can continue my career based on the risk you put yourself into being in a cold rink for six months of the year or eight months of the year so uh, you have some questions, but ultimately, you keep coming back for one thing. You enjoy what you're doing, and the kids re-energize you. And every time I felt low or down, I thought of the fact that, you know, there's a group of 23 kids waiting at the rink uh, who are just beginning their path. And they have a lot of obstacles that they're going to have to overcome. And um, if they can see you have success with this, hopefully it'll impact them when they face those adversities in the future. Well, that's well said and a great lead into my last question. And I know you still got, uh, you know, potentially a decade or two left behind the bench. So I, I don't, I, I, sometimes I hate to ask this because I don't mean to say it's like an end of career type question. But, you know, given where you're at now, what would you say to a young coach who's maybe, you know, a, a man or a woman in their 20s, they want to help out with the local peewee team or maybe have a chance to get behind the bench of a junior B or a junior A team? What would you say to that young coach starting out? I'd say a couple things. I think, number one, you need to trust yourself. You know, a lot of good young coaches out there second-guess themselves. Trust yourself. Um, understand what you want to bring and remember most important people involved in hockey are the players at any level, whether it be NHL, whether it be at initiation. The object is to make those players have fun while they're developing their skill levels. And if you can do that, I don't care what the wins and losses say, you've been a very good coach. And that's what those kids will remember. And like I said, anyone um, that looks at the game of hockey has to remember that this is for the players, especially at the minor levels. And anything we can do to improve their experience is going to pay off down the road. Gord, well said. Again, congratulations on the record. All the best here as you drive towards the playoffs. I'm glad we're still doing this after 17 years, and I hope we have many more years of interviews ahead. Really appreciate your time tonight. Reed, thank you very much, and I'm hoping by now you know how to set up the camera properly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see you next time. We'll see if, if that's changed. <laughs> Thanks, Gord. See you soon. Thanks, buddy. Take care. That's Gord Thibodeau. Just a pleasure to catch up with him and all the congratulations on becoming the winningest coach in the AJHL. We did something pretty cool involving a young football player and a member of the Edmonton Eskimos. You'll hear that when we return. It's the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope your family day long weekend has been a good one. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, a young man, a young football player here in town, Chuba Hubbard, signed with Oklahoma State. He's going to go play at football and track. He's a dual sport athlete in the uh, NCAA. He's actually a, a student at Bev Facey out in Sherwood Park. And uh, we had him on the show to talk about going to Oklahoma State. 
And uh, we had a bit of a surprise for him. He was talking about uh, following the Edmonton Eskimos, and then we brought on uh, an Edmonton. Anyway, here's here's how it went. Yeah, it's always fun watching Eskimos. Uh, um, uh, I look up to a bunch of those guys. That, you know, I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to, you know, get a tweet from a Darius Bowman and Ryan Cade today. So that was obviously a. Uh, Awesome well, I think you're going to like this then, Chuba, because joining us on the show right now is a guy who played for the Wait. Oklahoma State Cowboys, Adarius Bowman. Adarius, you want to say hi? Oh, man, Chuba, man. How you doing, brother? I'm very hey. excited, man. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, everything is great, man. This is, this, is, this is an exciting day, man. This is your day. You deserve it all, brother. I remember... Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you. I remember you seeing you. I remember seeing you run that ball last year. I was working with... Uh, Harry Angley, and I actually okay. walked out of the press box. I walked out the press box. I said, Brock, I cannot coach right now. I have to watch this kid, man. <laughs> and so uh, I'm excited to see this, brother. And, and, and you going to one of the best universities in America, man. <laughs> yes, definitely, yes. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Yes, man, yes. Uh, Darius, what, what, what advice would you give uh, uh, would you give Chuba about, about making the most of an NCAA career and maybe also not being overwhelmed by the, yes, all the yes. expectations? Oh, yes, Chuba. Oh, my goodness. I can definitely tell you, brother. So, you know, it's two sides of all the story. Listen to my side I'm about to give you. <laughs> all right? Uh, but uh, definitely, man, uh, just, just enjoy this time right now because it is, is, a, is a privilege. Remember that it's always a privilege. Nothing's been, been given to you. The work mm-hmm. ethic that you had to get to this point, you're going to need that plus more to get through the next point you're coming up to. Do you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. College is going to be amazing, man. And college in America is even, even more crazy. So do me this favor. Yeah, grow as a young man. Have your fun. Hey, but understand the opportunity that's in front of you. And go home yeah. early, man. Go home early. Use the use the tutors. I've been in Stillwater. I've been in that academic center, man. Hey, yeah. use those tutors that's there. They're there for yeah. you. They're there yeah. for you. So if there's one thing I can tell you, man, get your education. You can ball. I don't need to give you a whole bunch of information about balling. Just keep that grind when it comes to balling and get that education. Get that education, man. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Darius, when when you saw Chuba uh, running, you sort of mentioned how you were, uh, you know, t- taken aback in a, in a good way by it. What was it? Was it his speed? Was it his power? What made him stand out? Uh, could I say both of those you just said? It was a nice combination, you know. And for me, uh, uh, I like to call myself an elite athlete sometimes. So when I, <laughs> when I can see another athlete heading in that direction, uh, uh, it's just amazing to be in there present and watch them play. Uh, what I enjoy watching about him was, uh, as a running back, it's hard to see running backs with patience. Uh, the patience with the combination of power and speed, you can't teach that. That's a gift, you know. So uh, take that gift and, and continue to grind on it and make it better. Mm-hmm. I actually heard that he uh, he was actually some. I was at the game that day. They was trying to tell me you're a better track guy. I didn't ever get to see you run track, but. That's that's even more impressive to me. But, uh, yeah, it had to be his combination of power and speed. Juba, you know, he mentioned uh, he mentioned your ability, you know, to be patient and stuff. I, I cover hockey a lot, as you know, and people say hockey players have hockey sense. Do you think you have a good, you know, football sense? Because as a running back, you can't just always run straight and hard all the time, right? Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I like to think that I have a little bit of a running back sense, and you know, every year I'm trying to, 
you know, build my game and uh, expand on everything. So, yeah. 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 That's a great answer. Great answer. Great answer. Continue expanding. Don't stop, brother. Don't stop. Mm-hmm. I love watching you, man. All right. Thank you. Thank a- you again. And Adarius, before before I let you guys go, uh, I know you had your news conference yesterday, and Dave and Morley talked yes. to you, but yes. uh, we had hockey yesterday, so I didn't get you on Inside Sports. Congratulations on being extended uh, through 2018. Uh, um, you know, what do you look forward to here for 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 2017? You, you know, Durrell, you're going to have to find somebody to replace Durrell, but you got uh, Mike yeah, and a bunch yeah. of guys back. That's tough to do. Uh, Darrell's a special guy, and I wish him nothing but the best, you know, uh, down there in uh, Temple Bay. But, uh, man, honestly, I'm looking forward to spending a few more years here in Edmonton. Like, I continue to say this is home, man, and it's uh, such a great environment. But what this environment do to you is it, it gives me, myself, the opportunity to grow as a, as a young man, and I'm becoming a man now. I'm definitely a man now, but it gave me my opportunity to get to this point, and I'm just thankful to, to, to still be in this environment, in this com- community, you know, and uh, when it comes to the play on the field, I think that's why Edmonton has the tradition and the success that they have. Uh, uh, Ed Hervey and the whole organization do a good job of finding uh, great character guys, you know. I, I, I know why I wasn't here back in uh, 08, 09, 2010. I wasn't the best character guy then. But, uh, but uh, that's something that Edmonton, like, strive on and pride on, and then, uh, and that's what I want to be a part of. And uh, like I said, if you're going to do it, do it somewhere that you love, and I love Edmonton, so this is the only place I could play my career. Well, Darius, well said, and Chuba, all the best to you. Who knows, hey, maybe hey, maybe hey, I'm interviewing yeah. you as an Eskimo someday, buddy. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, yeah, that would be crazy. Hopefully I'm still playing when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that was Edmonton Eskimos star Adarius Bowman and maybe a future star in the CFL, Chuba Hubbard. Great segment. Okay, we're coming up to the 8 o'clock news. That does it for the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Remember, Oilers at Tampa Bay tomorrow. The face-off show will be at 4. The game starts at 5.30. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.